0: Welcome to the Grip City Golf Podcast, your source for new information, insightful interviews, and good old-fashioned banter about golf in Portland, Oregon. Today's episode is presented by and Brown Sanitation. Introducing the hosts of Grip City Golf, Andy Dirt Johnson and Eric Peterson.
1: Hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome in episode eight of the Grip City Golf Podcast. Andy Dirt Johnson alongside Eric Peterson. What's going on, EP?
2: Hey, man. Good to hear your voice. I feel like it's been a little while. Lots, lots been going on.
1: (laughs) There's nothing, there's been nothing going on in the world of golf, man. It's been dead since the last time we did a podcast. Before we get to the the craziness, have you played any golf lately? Have you gotten out and swung the sticks?
2: I actually played nine holes this week at Charbonneau with some, some uh, business network friends of mine. And I've talked about Charbonneau before. I feel like they don't get enough credit and not enough people really pay attention to that golf course. And it deserves more credit. It, we played, we teed off at 7:45 in the morning on a Wednesday. I was in the office at 10 o'clock.
1: That is perfect.
2: You know, I didn't really miss a whole lot and I got to play nine holes, talk shop with some friends Charbonneau is cool, man. I forget. Have
1: you played there? (laughs) I've never played at Charbonneau before. No. And
2: People are listening. They're probably laughing, thinking like, yeah, my grandparents lived there. They played on Tuesday as well. (laughs) You know, you probably played right in front of them or something like, but honestly like the Chris Benzel, the the GM there who runs it is such a great guy. He is just like the, the like quintessential PGA tour or um, PGA of America pro. Um, He is just a pro in all facets and a great golfer also, but he's awesome. The facilities out there, they've they've built some new buildings. I just, I feel like we could do a pod out there. Like it's, it's good, man. It's, it's not what you are going to get from Langdon farms, which is right down the street. Sure. But like sometimes if you want to play golf for a different reason, and again, back to our mantra of every golf course has a purpose. I feel like Charbonneau belongs in that. So I was inspired on Wednesday, just playing a simple, quick nine holes of, of golf, but in my life now with kids and stuff, like any opportunity to get out and play golf is is better than not
1: playing at all. You got to capitalize it, man, especially on those weekdays. It's great when you can get nine holes in and still make it into the office and be productive for the day. And the weather,
2: the, the crappy weather that we've had this spring so far, like the fact that it didn't rain, that was an added bonus, you know? So it's like, yeah, it was great.
1: It's a little funny thinking a year ago, we were dealing with, do you want to golf in 115 degree heat? And now it's like, <laughs> hey, we got an atmospheric yeah. river coming in this weekend. Yeah. So no more weekend tee times, I guess, for the what? foreseeable future.
2: It's so crazy, like how the, the weather has swung from one side of the pendulum to the other.
1: It is it is bananas. At some point, it's going to clear. I, was, I ran into some members I played through the other day at Persimmon and just made some jokes about – you know it's you know sometime we'll get sun hopefully soon and they said yeah probably July 5th we'll get yeah. it by July 5th so we well, got to wait be, and make it through 4th of July
2: To be fair isn't isn't that pretty much every year is when it feels like summer in Portland officially kicks off July 5th like sometimes it even rains on 4th of July but then on July 5th, you can pretty much count on for the next two two straight months, you're going to get nothing but sunshine.
1: I'll tell you what, man, after the spring that we've had and the early summer that we've had, God. we better it better be there by July 5th. I was down at OGA playing in the Northwest Golf Guys like two weeks ago or a week and a half ago. Yeah. How'd that and go? You got it, yeah, I mean, it was great. I, you know, I had a great time. Their events are awesome. The pacing was unbelievable. I saw Travis. He didn't let me win any money. So I was <laughs> bummed about that um but they but it was you know i'm taking rain gear i got the umbrella up the whole day it's like what are we doing here man it's the end of may why am i in rain gear right now did you get rained on during your round it rained pretty consistently yeah throughout the entire round like i can do i could do golf in the rain when it's a little bit warmer i had a round last weekend where it was just kind of a steady drizzle the entire time but you're in shorts and a shirt because it's like 68 69 degrees so it feels okay but it's those days when you get a little bit chillier and it's raining. And it's just like, I got to, I, I don't want to put rain gloves on. I'm not Bandon in January here. What are we doing, man? Come on. I'm not gonna, mentally prepared for those rounds right now.
2: I was going to say Bandon is the only place where rain just does not affect my enthusiasm for the round. Like you're, 100% you're still like, Hey, we're doing this. And it turns yeah. into kind of an adventure. And I'm sure <laughs> listeners out there have had stories of when it's raining sideways and blowing 30 miles an hour. And that, that becomes a little extreme to where you're like, okay, what are we doing here, folks? But if it's just raining like a a kind of a typical Oregon coast weather at Bandon Dunes, it doesn't really affect me. But if that same rain comes on Saturday morning, you're playing somewhere locally in Portland,
1: you're, you're pretty bummed out you're t- you're you're completely bummed out because when you're down there you're on a golf trip so you're just excited to play golf and the and the views are beautiful and then on top of that when it rains it doesn't affect the course like it's not like your balls are going to start plugging in the fairway totally. or you're not going to get any roll but here you get a little bit of rain and it's like all right well now i'm getting 20 yards less on every drive because it's just sticking in the fairway it's not going anywhere
2: well and we've talked before right about like the one of the things that I don't like about playing in the winter is that even if it's not raining on like let's say you catch sunshine in December or January in Portland and it sounds like a great idea to go play golf but it sucks when you hit it right down the middle of the fairway and you like lose your ball because it's buried <laughs> a foot down in the in the dirt right it's Whereas it's absolute it worst at that
1: No it's there's nothing more depressing as a golfer than losing a ball you shouldn't lose Yeah And then that search that ensues like off in the rough or in the fairway and you're walking around you're yeah. like I know that golf ball is here. I know it is in this 15 yard radius. And then it's like, do I count this drop? How do I play this? Like there was nothing more frustrating than that.
2: Let me ask you this. What's more frustrating losing your ball because it plugged in the middle of the fairway and at a soggy golf course or a summer day and you go up to the fairway and your ball is in a deep divot.
1: (laughs) I got to go losing a ball in the fairway. I, now, you know my stance on the divot rule. That's ridiculous. and uh, make to you know penalize me for hitting a fairway is one of the dumbest things that exists in all of sports. But at least my, I still know where my ball is. And at least I can play it and maybe still save, you know, salvage something. But the second you have to take a drop that you're wondering, is it, does this count as a penalty stroke? Yeah. Like what's, what's the ruling on my handicap yeah. here? My, yeah. do I have to like, is it, am I dropping two, hitting three now? I don't want to do that. I didn't hit the ball out of bounds. This isn't my fault. Like once that thought process starts ticking in my mind, then it's racing. And then I hit a bad neck shot and it just, it's like a, an immediate downward spiral for me in my golf game.
2: I think that once we get past July 5th, It kind of stinks that, what is that, almost a month out from now that we, like, are you, so you're telling me I got to wait another month before the (laughs) the rain's going to go away? I hope you're wrong on that, but I I mean, if that ends up being the case, I I do look forward to July 5th. In fact, maybe we should pencil it around right now, July 5th, 5th. (laughs) because we're going to kick off the golf season finally, officially.
1: Summer will be here July 5th. We'll we we'll take all of our uh, Grip City Golf listeners out and we'll go play somewhere. I love it on just July
2: 5th. Se- just celebrate our golf life.
1: <laughs> well, let's get to it, buddy. Uh, the whole golf world is changing before our very eyes. The last couple of weeks have been absolutely bananas. We'll talk with Will Gray coming up here in a moment. He is the content manager for NBC Sports Edge Betting, and he's been with the Golf Channel uh, for 15 years. I'll let you further explain that as, as we get to him here in a bit. But I'm just, you know, I'll just toss it to you, man. It's it, it, I don't really know how to feel right now. It felt like it's been a roller coaster of, wow, this is going to fundamentally change golf to there's no way this is going to happen. This isn't going to take place. They're not playing at pumpkin Ridge to now. It's like, oh my God, Dustin Johnson and all these, you know, Phil and Sergio, all these Patrick Reed and Bryson, and now maybe Brooks and some other Bubba, all these guys might become on a pumpkin Ridge in a couple of weeks and resigning their PGA tour cards. It's just it is bonkers, and it's, I think it's fundamentally changing before our very eyes, the way we watch golf, the PGA Tour, everything about the sport. What's your reaction been to all this craziness that's gone on in the last week and a half?
2: Yeah, man, it's a roller coaster of emotions. I mean, even just in the course of this, the life of this podcast, I mean, it started <laughs> with, oh, there's this LIV thing that's talked about, is it going to happen? It, it all just felt so that there was so much mystery about it at that point. And then it goes to, oh, wow, they've like launched a schedule. They still don't have any players, but there's a schedule. And so then you're kind of high on like, oh, wow, there's this thing. And then it goes back down because we're getting closer to the first event in London. And we're like, there's still no players. And as Peter Jacobson alluded to on a previous pod, that's the one thing you have to have for a tournament is people playing in the event. And that was the one thing they didn't have. And so that was what was causing me to think that this thing is not going to happen because they don't have any players. And then all of a sudden, man, like a light switch, it just changed. And the players that you mentioned are now in, and there's all this buzz about other players jumping in too. the question that I have, and I'm curious to get your answer on this is, I wonder if the players who are now committed to playing, had made that decision all along, maybe barring some negotiations on how much they were gonna get paid. Like, is Phil gonna get 200 mil or 150 mil, you know? But was his mindset from the very beginning, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna figure out a way to do it. And the legal ramifications of being suspended from the PGA tour, I'll let my lawyers figure all that out and am I gonna be eligible for majors? But I'm just curious if, is all of this seems like it's changed in our eyes and, and fans watching golf in, in their eyes. Um, m- has it been the same in the players' minds all along? What do you think about that?
1: I think it has been, to be honest, especially with some like Phil, I think 100%. I mean, there's been rumors that him and his lawyers helped draw up the rules and the regulations for the entire thing and that he's been basically their first guy they went to and the first guy they committed. And then you look at some of the other players, I mean, go back. Part of the reason the roller coaster dipped for us was at the week at the Players Championship when it felt like it wasn't going to happen. You had a lot of players releasing statements, including Dustin Johnson, who released a statement through the PGA Tour. Yeah. He had their comms department release a statement saying, well, "I'm not going anywhere. You know, I'm committed to the PGA Tour. I love the history and the pageantry and all that. You know, I love playing on this tour and this circuit." Bryson has said the same thing. Bryson was just at the Memorial last week, where he was asked. He didn't make the cut, but he was asked on Thursday, Wednesday, whenever his press uh, conference was are you going? And he said, no, I'm not going. I'm committed to the PGA tour, but he gave the same spiel. You can't tell me that in four days is mind change or yeah. for DJ, like in a couple of weeks, all of a sudden it's, well, I was committed. Now I'm not anymore. And these hundred million dollar offers have been on the table for a long time. And I was reading in golf digest last night, just to use Bryson as an example, he has been a focal point of frustration for players because he was saying a lot of things privately to other guys on tour about how he was going to go and how he loved the LIV idea and what the way they were going to play and the amount of money and all this. And then he'd walk up to a camera and they put a microphone in front of his face and he'd, you know, s- speak his loyalty to the PGA tour. And these guys behind the scenes are just rolling their eyes. Like, dude, I think JT had the quote. If you're going to go, just go like enough yeah. of this crap. Like if you want to go play, that's fine. And I think Rory and JT and some of the other guys have been really eloquent on that of like, Hey, we don't hold any animosity towards you, but just, just go. if That's what you want to do. Don't drag it out anymore. So to answer your question, no, I I think these guys have had their minds made up for a while and they were just waiting like a lion in the weeds to pounce on their prey for that moment when Greg Norman hasn't said anything stupid in two weeks. Phil Mickelson disappeared for three months, so he wasn't quite as controversial. And it kind of died down a little bit. And as soon as it did, boom, here you go. Here's your entire LIV field.
2: You wonder if the if everything that's transpired was all just part of the master plan by Greg Norman and the Saudi <laughs> folks that of like all this confusion around where's Phil Mickelson? Like, what, is he ever going to play in a PGA Tour event again? You know, that was the question we started to ask when he didn't play in the PGA. Was that because of was that really truly because of like personal reasons and needing to sort of like heal himself and get his life back in order or was it part of just this plan to just like hey i'm get i'm like getting all my things lined up to play in this liv thing and that's why he skipped the pga championship i mean it was so odd that phil skipped a major championship and of which he was the defending champion and and really when he won at kiwa it was one of the, the more memorable major wins in, in history. Right. Yeah, and yeah. for him to just then skip the next year at defending champ was just so bizarre, but people thought, at least I did, that that was really truly because he knew that he had made a gaffe. He had, he had um, spoken too much about what he thought. And I think the whole thing about, he thought it was off the record was a bunch of baloney. But now that I see like where he is now at this very moment where he's literally as we speak playing on the LIV tour that maybe that whole thing was just part of some master plan for him to just get everything organized to play on the LIV tour. I don't know, man. It's hard to know when, when guys talk in front of a camera, like you're saying how much of that is the honest truth versus how much of it is just kind of PR speak
1: it really is tough to judge and don't even, I mean, you mentioned the PGA. He didn't show up at Augusta either as yeah. a what? Three time, two time master champion, whatever it is like yeah. for him to not show up at Augusta and not play in the PGA championship where he's the defending champ. That's a, those were eye-opening moments that I'm with you. I felt the same way of, he's just kind of gone into hiding. He'll come out eventually. And then here he is popping up at the LIV looking like a twice divorced drug addict the other day with his leather jacket and his weird hair. He isn't shaved in a month and a half. Like, come on, Phil, let's get it together. Like, you know, and I'll say this, like, I don't know. I, I think at this point, this is one of those like controversial topics where you you feel you're either on one side of the fence or the other. Right. Like either these people that are going to play on the live tour are evil. And how could you ever take that kind of money? Or it's like, well, who cares? Like, you know, not everything's uh, are, are we going to root for, you know, the USA in the World Cup where they're building stadiums in Qatar with slave labor? Or what about Nike and their sweatshops? Right. Like there's those people. It's like one side or the other. And I feel like you're either people are on one side uh, or the other. So for me, the bigger thing is what this means for the game of golf. And that's been my takeaway of just genuine kind of sadness this week, because I love golf and I love the PGA tour. And what we love about it is being able to turn on a tournament every single week, know the tournament that's being played, the course that it's being played at uh, the broadcasters are the same and it's, and it's the best field of golf week in and week out. And the idea that, while the, the live tour might not eventually steal everybody away, which of course they won't, but that you're watering down the PGA tour product by taking away guys who were in the prime of their career, because initially the names were Sergio and Poulter and Graham McDowell and Lee Westwood, Louis U stays in. It's like, okay, fine. Take those guys. They're in the twilight of their career. This is basically their step before the senior tour. DJ was the only big fish. And now you're getting other guys who are in the prime of their careers that to me is the saddest part about all this is that having two competing tours, you're watering down both products, and the field week in and week out is not going to be the same. And as long as it continues, golf as a sport is never going to be the same.
2: Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. Like, does the PGA Tour figure out a way to work more in partnership with the LIV Tour and vice versa? It kind of seems like at this point, they are really far apart. You know, it's kind of like a divorce where this is not a mutual breakup. This is like, no. I'm going this way and you're going that way, have a nice life. Right. Um, But it just, cause for reasons that you had mentioned about the year in year out, knowing that that third week of, of may every year is the Memorial tournament. And they talk about the milkshakes and Jack is in the booth and like, just all of that is fun from a nostalgic uh, perspective. I, I love that part about as a golf fan, I love that part of it. And to, yeah, to think about how that could drastically change, like, that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. And it'll, it, I think it just remains to be seen a does the LIV tour have legitimate staying power so that in 10 years it still exists, or is it just this little thing, this kind of this little blip that causes the landscape of the PGA tour to change a little bit. And they're like, Oh yeah, you know what? We need to tweak a couple things and pay the top dogs a little bit more money. And, but then besides that, the, the PGA tour will sort of, um, continue to exist as it always has. I think that kind of remains to be seen. I, I don't know if anybody ha- knows for sure what the LIV tour is going to look like even next year. I mean, like it'll probably happen next year if they got it off the ground, but then maybe like, what about three years from now, five years right. from now, 10 years from now? Um, how does the landscape of professional golf look then? I think that's a pretty wild thing to think about.
1: Well, and I- I'm curious to ask Will about this when we get him on, but it's not, The unique part about it is you have these other startup leagues and other sports. This one is different because they are taking some of the top talent away and we'll have to wait and see what the full official list ends up being. But with a lot of these other leagues, they struggle because the business model doesn't work. There's no return on investment. Nobody wants to watch. Nobody wants to go because it's not the same product as, you know, use all these spring football leagues as an example. It's just not the same. But when you're dealing with a league that it doesn't seem like cares about making money and they have a trillion dollars in the bank to keep throwing it at, you know, at more golfers and and more tournaments and all that kind of stuff. Like this isn't your normal startup league. And that's, what's so unique about it is that to your point, like two years from now, I don't see this tour making a lot of money. They're on YouTube. They're on Facebook. They're getting like 70 to 80,000 viewers so far on their first day of the, of the tournament. Like that's nothing. There were the the memorial I looked up on Sunday, their final round had just shy of 2.5 million viewers, which is one of the lowest rated memorials we've seen, I think, since 2011. It's because Billy Horschel ran away with it, and it's like, all right, he's going to win the tournament. But so that's 2.5 million compared to 80 or 90,000 viewers. So yeah. what there's no successful business model here, but that's the crazy part is I don't know if there needs to be. And are they just cool throwing... 500 million dollars every single year at the top names in golf to come play and they don't care if people are going to their tournaments or if they're making money it's just it's wild man
2: well and they'll they'll, they're will they probably gonna be okay with that for a period of time and and what that period of time is i think is anyone's guess is it three years five years ten years that they would be okay with just throwing the money down the toilet Um, but it seems like at some point they'd want it to be (laughs) cash flow positive i mean if you think about like As, like, venture capitalists, like, you invest in a company knowing full well that the first few years you're going to lose money, but you're going to take a few steps backward to make a giant leap forward. You know, if you think about that, like, as an investor, that's why you do that. And it stands to reason that the, the Saudis would look at this tour that way that, Hey, we know we're going to eat it for the first period of time. Again, we don't know if that's one year or three years, or maybe, maybe they're cool with doing it forever. I don't know. I mean, the, the money pit is probably forever, but I mean, it just seems <laughs> like if like logically it just seems like at some point they will want this to be cash positive. and for how long they're going to let that go until they get to that. I don't know.
1: Well, and almost, they're almost creating their own grave on that regard too because when you're paying – and this is what I'm sure the PGA Tour is telling people, like, when you're paying that much money for golfers with or without success, with or without restrictions on what tournaments you have to show up to or not, you can't – you're never going to be able to make money on that. Yeah. Like, golf is – I mean, you can, you can create all the stupid team names you want and the new logos and the, hey, shotgun start. And you can do whatever the hell you want to create this – Nate, think of any way that a a 10 or 15 event golf league is going to generate $500 million in revenue. Like, there's no chance in hell that you're ever going to get the amount of ratings that it takes, a la the NFL, to equal that in a TV deal. The sponsorship, sure, that piles up, but I I mean, you're not going to ever be able to, I think, make money on this thing. That to me has been the wildest part of, you know, and maybe they're just okay with that, but eventually and Rory had this in his press conference this week like making decisions based on money doesn't usually turn out well and i think that's his thought process of like man two years from now what if this thing folds up because they're mm-hmm. like well we threw 2 billion dollars at it it didn't work nobody was really watching or cared and now you got to put your tail between your legs and come back to a tour that you renounced your card or you've been suspended for you know 5 years or however long the suspension's going to be it just uh, thinking about where this goes has my mind racing over the last two weeks because I really think the only other time we've seen something like this in sports and it was before my time was the USFL startup when they were taking guys like Steve Young and Jim Kelly and some of the best players out of college. And it was a spring league. And you saw that last for a couple of years and everybody thought, wow, this could be a viable threat. And then, you know, they made some bad decisions. They tried to move to the fall and eventually it folded and it, you know, all those players went to the NFL. But since then, essentially, we've never seen anything like this in the world of sports and, Uh, Just, it's crazy to think about where it's going to go from here.
2: Well, and like to further the comment you made about what Rory said, and I agree with that, that it's not always a hundred percent about the money. And if you, if you think that it is, oftentimes that's not going to end well for you. But what I do think that players are seeing the players who have jumped over to LIV tour and thrown away their status with the PGA tour and all the relationships and all the, the stuff that came with that, the positive stuff that came with that, what they're also gaining with this LIV tour agree or disagree is that they they feel like they're a part of this historic moment in golf. Like that golf is, it mm-hmm. is now in this inflection point where it's, they want to be a part of this movement and I think that a guy like Phil where it, and Greg Norman, too, kind of the, the older statesman of this tour, um, I, I feel like they're going to be able to look back on their career and say, hey, I was I was not only a part of, but I was like out in front, and I was a front man for this change and this moment. And so I think that that carries weight, too. So that's my counterpoint to what Rory's saying is that, Sure. They're doing it in large part because of the money. Let's be honest. But there's, I think there's also a piece of those players that's doing it because they want to be a part of this, of completely changing what the landscape looks like for, for years to come well beyond when they're, when they'll be around.
1: Yeah. And the first tournament, I'm curious, tweet us at Grip City Golf if you've watched any of it. It is officially underway in London. The Pumpkin Ridge event's coming up soon. So share your thoughts on the broadcast. Have you watched? Do you care? Are you boycotting? I'm just I'm genuinely curious where people are at on this because I've seen opinions really all over the map. And, you know, as we were kind of talking about before we started recording this, it's unique to us because this isn't just a, a change in the golf world, which it obviously is but it's also tying in one of the more established courses in our area in a matter of a couple of weeks. And that list of players that might be coming to Portland continues to grow. And the rumors continue to swirl of Brooks Koepka and Bubba Watson and Matthew Wolf. And the list keeps getting longer and longer and longer as where, You know, as you mentioned, the life of this podcast, I remember on episode one, you know, Peter Jacobson saying, well, the three of us could go play and, (laughs) you know, there's not going to be a tournament. And all of a sudden you're looking up and you're saying, "Okay, that's a pretty good field for a professional golf to come to Portland. And that's, you know, it it ties back into us here locally. And that's where I'll I'll be curious. A couple of things. One, where it goes, obviously, as the summer goes on. But even for us as a podcast, for us as golf fans, like once the Pumpkin Ridge event is over, and again, I think you're on one side of the fence or the other, right? You're either like, I'm not giving my money to that, you know, the, the, that dictatorship in Saudi Arabia. I'm not going to buy a ticket. I refuse to go. Or, hey, I don't ever get a chance to watch these guys, so I'm going to go. And I don't blame either side. You can feel however you want to feel about it. Once the, once the thing is done at Pumpkin Ridge, are we going to watch? Are we going to care? Are we going to pay attention? Are we going to look at leaderboards? Like, is this going to be a recurring conversation in the golf world? Where, again, I'll connect it to some of these other startup leagues. Like, you see the XFL begin, and they get 5 million viewers in week one because everybody's like, well, it's kind of cool. This is new. Different football. They have different kickoff rules. Like, let's check this out. By the time you get to week seven, nobody is watching. Nobody yeah, cares. No. There's a USFL league going on right now. And in week one, I, I think they had folded. No, they started a new one. There's another new one. And in week one, there was like 4 million viewers on network television. Everybody thought, what? This is crazy. They had like 180,000 people watching their games this last week because it's like, okay, this is a bad product and I don't care. So that's the other part of this that's sticking in my mind of just like it's a novelty right now because this is the first tournament and this is so new. But once the dust settles and all right, these guys are going to live, these guys are staying on the PGA tour. If we fast forward to July and you have your normal run of the mill tournament going on or August on the PGA tour, I just, I don't know how much of a talking point this stuff's going to be in in the world of golf, but it's all new and who the hell knows where it's going to go. Yeah,
2: I totally agree. And you know, another example of like where it started hot and just quickly faded is the XFL several years ago. Remember like that Mm -hmm. was a, that was an interesting, shiny new object. The first week and then by the time they got to the even remember the second game dropped off like <laughs> like off a, a cliff, cliff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and and then by the time they got to the end of the season didn't they just fold that before they even got through one season yeah. Yeah. yeah and so it's like you wonder is that i mean given the the money the financial backing that probably won't happen here but in terms of viewer interest uh, like you wonder if that's going to happen and i if i'm if i'm betting on it i'm i'm betting that the viewership is going to drop off quite a bit
1: that's where I'm betting too. They, the numbers haven't been great on day one, but it's day one. We'll see where it goes the rest of the weekend. And by the fifth tournament, if they're still getting 80,000 viewers on YouTube, is, that, or is, is there an oh crap moment for them? Or again, is it different because it's Saudi Arabia and they're like, well, we'll just throw another billion dollars at it. Who cares? We have endless supply of oil and an endless supply of money. We're going to be okay. Um, let's get some thoughts from Will Gray on this. So I'll, I'll let you set this up. Will is the, the content manager for NBC Sports Edge Betting. He's been with the Golf Channel for 15 years uh, and, and a good buddy of yours from way back in the day.
2: Yeah, man, he's such a good friend. And um, actually, he and I um, are in touch most of the time about college football. He's a huge Florida Gators fan and actually runs the um, this big pick'em pool that I'm in with some of my old cronies from the Golf Channel. And he and I actually started that pool back in the day when we used to work there together. And Will um, actually started at the Golf Channel in in the sales department um, and I was in editorial at that point and he would come over and we'd hang out and get lunch and stuff. And we became friends and he would just kind of ping me with some cool story ideas and w- just had his finger on the pulse of, of, um, golf. And I just was always really intrigued and impressed by how sharp he was. And I even told him at some point, I was like, dude, you got to get into editorial. Like you have a re- you're- he's a great writer. He was a great storyteller. And then he eventually got into editorial. So I feel like I I'm not the reason, but I feel like <laughs> hopefully I was some wind beneath his sails that or wind beneath his wings that um, that got him into what he's doing now. And now he's been doing content for a while. He was on the GolfChannel.com desk for a while, and then when that got shuffled up, he moved moved over to the NBC Sports um, side of things. And now his role is focused on college or sorry sports betting specific to golf and so i wanted to have him on our podcast to talk more just about the landscape of of betting in golf and this was before we even thought about the LIV tour and how um like what he would have to say about that but as soon as that started to kind of evolve more i thought man he's going to have a point of view on just what this tour means what it could mean for the the city of portland and so um i just called him up and said hey man stuff's blowing up like you and i have been talking about like <laughs> uh, can you come on the pod and just kind of we'll have kind of a wide-ranging conversation and of course he said yes and so i'm um, super grateful that he was um amenable to jumping on with us so
1: well let's bring him on will gray you can give him a follow on twitter at will gray gc's the content manager for NBC sports edge betting and he's been with the golf channel now uh, for 15 years all right, Well, I, I think the only place that I know how to start this week, and I'll, I'll be curious for, for your thoughts on this, 15 years at the Golf Channel, you know, the, the live stuff, it feels like, has gone from maybe six weeks ago, six months ago, thinking, all right, this is kind of what I expect, right, Bryson and Patrick Reed and Phil Mickelson and Sergio, to then the controversial comments to, wait, maybe this isn't even going to happen at all to now it looking like this is what it's actually going to be, and maybe there's more to it. I'm just curious to get your thoughts, man, as somebody who's been around golf for a long time. We'll get to the betting angles and all that kind of stuff, but 15 years at the Golf Channel, like, what's been your reaction in the last week and even in the last 48 hours to all the news that we've seen around the Live Tour and the guys that are bolting the PGA Tour?
0: Yeah, I think that golf uh, prides itself, well, if it prides, but it's a sport that fears change. And it's a sport that is rooted in tradition and longevity and history. And we go to the same courses and we play the same events. And now uh, change is being thrust upon the sport, uh, whether you like it or not. I mean, you're right. There have been so many pump fakes, so many stops and starts. We had, you know, in in early February, it seemed like this thing was really going to happen. And then all of a sudden, you know, the tour galvanized their support group. and, And, you know, you've had... At the Players' Championship, you had Jay Monahan, you know, basically patting himself on the back at the press yeah. conference saying that, you know, we we took this on head on and we're moving on. And, you know, Rory McElroy called it dead in the water. And obviously it is, it is not that anymore. Um, we got to the point where it seemed like it was going to occur in some form. Then you added, you know, a little bit of a wrinkle with, with DJ. Everyone kind of expected Phil and Westwood and Poulter and those guys to come up, around. But now, yeah, as you mentioned, there's there's reports out. Bryson has confirmed that he's going to play. Uh, there are reports linking Patrick Reed, possibly Ricky Fowler. I mean, there are some some big names now where I, I do think that the PJ Tours model is is facing uh you know a little bit of pushback. And it's gonna be interesting to see how this goes, not only this week in London, but you know, closer to you guys in a couple of weeks up at Pumpkin Ridge and, and how this plays out over the summer, for sure.
2: Will, how much of the controversy do you think is related to the source of the funding for this new tour versus the fact that there's a rival tour that's being born? I
0: think a lot of it is where the money is coming from. Uh, I, and I think that it's, you know, th- these are incredible sums of money. And there's only, you know, one or two sources where you're going to be able to get that much money coming in, you know, in basically a fire hose where you're able to offer, you know, nine figure guarantees to DJ and to Phil and to Bryson as, as have been reported. So uh, I, I think from the tour's perspective, it's, they're, they're going to have to change gears here because it's, it's easier for them to fight against an existential threat or, or something that is, you know, conceptual, um, but now it exists. This is a a living, breathing golf tournament. These guys are going to, you know, someone's going to cash a $4 million check on Saturday um, and someone's going to finish last and make 120 grand. And and I think that from the tour's perspective, when they were trying to pitch their players saying like, hey, you really don't want to touch this. It's, you know, it's easier for them to lean on the morality clause of where's, you know, where the money is coming from, the PR hit you're going to take, and so on, when it's still just theoretical. But now that it is, you know, occurring before our eyes, and and these guys are going to face some blowback. But what happens if, you know, two three months down the road, the blowback starts to diminish and the checks keep cashing, and and then I think it's going to be a little bit of a changing dynamic.
2: You think that the PGA Tour would be would have been more likely to acquiesce if it was funded by some United States company? Um, and the money was clean and there was no no issues there. Do you think the PGA tour would be nicer about this whole thing, or do you think they'd still hold their same ground? Granted, they wouldn't have the, the, they wouldn't be able to give the PR spin about the dirty money. but do you think they would have still been as pu- like pu- pushing back as hard if it went that way?
0: Yeah, I, I think that the tour would have viewed any sort of threat to their model as a threat. and, and I think that they, especially going into this, this new era. I mean, it's, it's a, a new television contract started this year with NBC, CBS, you know, where basically, you know, the PJ tour is, is making 40 or 50% more for, for the same product. And, and so this huge, you know, some of money uh, was, was then going to be directed into player purses and prize money. And that's where we have the pip and things like that, where, yeah, they just have, they've got some extra money in their coffers, even coming out of, you know, the money they had to spend to keep things afloat during the COVID uh, era. So I, I do think that they would have, they've been, you know, a a one man band for so long, essentially, where they've been able to control such a, a majority of professional golf. And, and they've got the pathway set up where if you want to play on Professionally in the U.S., not only do you play on our tour, but you have to start on our feeder tours. That that's the only way, essentially, you're getting in, unless you're one of you know two or three guys that that find a side door. And now they've got the strategic alliance with the European Tour, uh, so they they have their arms around pretty much the entire professional golf landscape uh, from the men's perspective. And so I think that anything that would have come up. Uh, that that seemed like it was a threat to their model would have been treated similarly. Even if I I agree with you, they might've had to try and find some different reasons if it weren't coming from where it's coming from.
1: Well, and then on that note, Will, I'm curious to ask you because I've had a hard time trying to grapple this myself of where is the, where's the hunger and the desire you think from golf fans to watch this? Like it's one thing to start a league and I've seen the numbers that maybe they're giving out $500 million to just Phil and DJ and Bryson and, you know, a small group of players, but when you're talking about a field that you maybe have 12, 13 names that the average sports fan has heard of and the rest of them are unknowns, and on top of that, you highlight the PGA Tour inking their new television deals, that's a big part of why the PGA Tour is what they are. And This, this tournament's going to be on YouTube and on Facebook and on their website. I mean, do, do you think this is going to drive golf fans to actually go watch, maybe check it out once? Is it going to be something we watch regularly? I'm just curious how you think – we fold this into our lives as golf fans in terms of viewership, because ultimately as a business, you need that to sustain your business model.
0: Yeah. I would say uh, a couple of things. First of all, I think some of it is still going to be contingent on the, the names, that play, right? So they say they're going to have 48 guys, but where did, where did the scale start to tip in terms of, do you have 10 players you care about? Do you have 25 players you care about? Do you have 40, you know, it, it, at some point you could build some interest there, but I would say, first of all, a lot of people, I, I, don't, I don't know that we really know how many people are going to watch. But I think the bigger question is, I don't know that it matters. I mean, you mentioned, you know, the business model. This is not a conventional business model where I, I don't think that anyone that is running this is really going to be, you know, scrutinizing and micromanaging TV ratings and ticket sales and things like that. This is something where they essentially have access to unlimited funds. And so, you know, whether or not you get, you know, 3,000 people or 10,000 people at the first event. That, that's a drop in the bucket versus what they have at their disposal. I think that they want to exist as an entity. You know, you hear the term sports washing. I think that that's a fair phrase to, to throw about with this in terms of the relationship to the, the Saudi government and the fact that it is being bankrolled by the, the public investment fund, which is run by the government itself. Uh, and so I, I think that their their gain is just in this thing existing, regardless of how many people attend, regardless of what sort of TV deal they get. Obviously, their plan is going into years two and three, I would think. I mean, I haven't I haven't had any meetings with them, but I, I would think that they're, yeah, you want to get a TV deal, you want to get distribution, you want to get a bigger platform, and you want to have the bigger names playing on on your circuit. But I, I don't think that they're really going to be tapping their feet saying, oh, my gosh, we needed to, we only sold 72% of tickets to the first three events, or we, we didn't get a, a TV deal that we wanted for year two. I don't know that that is as important for these guys as it would be for any conventional business model.
2: Hmm. Well, what are, what are some of the things about the LIV tour that you think are good for the game of golf and good for fans of golf in terms of a a TV product?
0: See, that's the problem is there, there are a lot of changes you can make to the PGA tours model. Uh, I think there's a lot of ways to grow and I don't know that the live tour addresses any or many of them. Um, You can't convince me that a shotgun start does anything especially that's that's honestly a negative for the people that are actually on the grounds there i think it would it would be impossible to try and follow a golf tournament if i'm there and it's just a shotgun start and it's melee Mm -hmm. especially on sunday or saturday whenever they finish uh you know no cut events and limited fields that's what we have with the wgc events which are the the most stale events on the pga tour calendar like everyone you know trying to trying to pay attention to a, a friday or saturday telecast in memphis when you know the guys are potentially playing out the string, I mean, it doesn't really get your juices flowing. So I, uh, you know, I think that there are ways that, that the PGA tour, you know, could benefit so to speak from some competition in terms of just really tightening their model and, and making some changes. I don't know that this really addresses it other than kind of poking the bear and making them realize, okay, maybe we do need to, you know, make things a little bit better, both for the players and for the viewers at home. And,
2: and really maybe just, Hey, pay us more money. I mean, that's really what this all comes down to, right? I mean, like it seems like the the one and only reason that these guys are going over to the Liv Tour is because of the Benjamins, baby, right?
0: Yeah, but the problem is they're never going to be able to get close to the you know the money that these the Liv Tour is going to offer. So if you know you look at the PIP Fund, which had you know put an eight million dollar first prize, if if you bump that to twelve or fifteen, does it really matter if the other guys are offering one hundred and twenty? I mean, that's. <laughs> it, either at some point guys are going to have to make this decision for themselves of do you go which path are you going to go down and so uh you know look at that last year the the pit money that they not invested but that went to you know phil and bryson and dj i mean that's that's basically you know dead money so to speak that in terms of the the pga tours funds they were trying to allocate it to their top guys the argument was clear that they said that you know that the one percent of the pga tour is not being effectively compensated and so they tried to address it and i don't know that it uh based on the early returns of of the what the live has been able to recruit it doesn't seem like it was uh, as effective as they hoped.
1: now you don't have to share any internal documents or anything but i'm curious do you guys have a plan on how you're going to handle this and cover it as a golf channel like because that's i would imagine that's kind of a weird relationship you got going on right now
0: yeah. I mean, Golf Channel, NBC, it, you know, there's a partnership there with the PGA tour. I mean, that's clear. And that's, that's going to be a priority. I think that, you know, just based on the the television contract that exists and just the, the long-term partnership that the, the TV networks have had with the tour, there is, you know, that to take into account, but at the same time, this is a news event. I mean, this is a big deal. Yeah. You're talking about, you know, a former world number one in Dustin Johnson, six time major champion, you know, in, in Phil Mickelson and, and then you look at some of the other guys that maybe they're not necessarily the top of the world rankings right now, but they are among the fan favorites and among the more polarizing and discussed, uh, you know, people of discussion, not disgusting uh, players on, on tour. If We talk about Patrick Reed and Bryson. Those are guys that everyone has an opinion on. And potentially Ricky Fowler, if, you know, he's I haven't seen any any full reports on it, but, I you know, his name has come up frequently enough and his comments have been such where he's not denying it where you know everyone so far that hasn't denied it has eventually come around and (laughs) and signed on the dotted line so it seems like he's in in progress so to speak uh but those are guys that people pay attention to and those are are players that you know we always talk in in the golf industry about moving the needle and tiger is the needle he's off on his own but in terms of the non-tiger division those are three of maybe the top 10 players that will really, you know, spark discussion among casual fans and certainly uh, fans within the sport.
2: So Will, as we transition into the the event in Portland specifically, I wanted to ask you are there any names that you've heard that aren't playing in the London event that could potentially play in the event in Portland? I know Bryson and and Reed are are fit that description, but are, are any other names that are potential for the event in Portland?
0: Yeah, I think one other guy that has been discussed is Henrik Stenson, uh, because this week he's playing in the Scandinavian mixed uh, event um, where he's actually hosting it on the European tour with Annika Sorenstam. So uh, this was one where he had that obligation as a tournament host that was essentially uh, precluding him from playing in the first live event. But I think that he's a player that uh, it would not surprise me if he. Uh, ultimately signs with the live tour. And and even if he plays that second event at pumpkin Ridge.
1: Wow. I, I saw you tweeting this week about some stuff with DJ and, and the, the tour exempt status and how you get there and Phil had already got that status. How, how do you think, and this is, I mean, we're all just taking shots in the dark here, but what what do you think the ultimate response is going to be about some of these guys, the way the PGA tour handles it?
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they respond. I mean, the, you know, this the word that, seems to be coming out is that there will be suspensions and, and they need to be significant. If, you know, if you're going to do it, you need to do it. Right. Uh, and I think that that's why, first of all, I didn't know you could resign your PGA tour membership until about four days ago. Uh, and now that's something <laughs> why, that, why would
2: you ever want to?
0: Right. right. Exactly. It's just, uh, so it is definitely a thing apparently. And, and you've seen a handful of guys do it, including Dustin Johnson. Uh, I It seems to be a, a preemptive, you know, you can't fire me. I quit sort of move, which- could potentially keep them out of you know you can't suspend someone that's not a member so it, I think the thought is that maybe it keeps them out of a, an ongoing legal battle but it is interesting to see that they're not they're not all uniform in in doing it I think I've seen five or six guys that resigned uh, Phil who has lifetime status is kind of in a different bucket but he said no I want to keep that uh, Graham McDowell said he has not resigned his membership Bryson has said he has not resigned his membership so it, it's very much a an a la carte sort of thing so I don't know why. Kevin Na wants to do it, but Bryson says no, uh, you know, it's, that's something that is, is for discussions that we're not exactly privy to. But I do think that as we get deeper into the fine print of the, of the player handbook of the tour, it seems like that's a move that uh, it, it could keep them out of a larger legal battle, but also could potentially open the door for rain statement down the, down the road where if this thing flames out and, you know, you have to sit in the penalty box for a, a year or two <laughs> years or whatever then potentially that would still allow them to have the option to, to reapply and, and regain status down the road.
2: Well, and to transition into the event in Portland, I wanted to ask you, is there anything that you're interested to see about the event this weekend in London that could potentially affect or maybe a tweak that they would make to the event that's in Portland, whether it be... Just the things they talk about, the storylines, the scramble format, not that they would change the format, but just maybe something that you're interested to see how that goes. So then we can take that information and apply it to how we consume the event out here in Portland.
0: Yeah, I guess for me, I'm interested to see the balance between the individual and the team format. And, and I legitimately don't really know how it's going to work and, and where the focus is going to be in terms of, uh, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot that you're trying to pay attention to at the same time with a shotgun start. So everyone's out on the course at the same time. And and so you already are, are trying to figure out, you know, a lot of moving parts, and then you throw in this team format uh, and it's another variable. So that's kind of how I'm one thing I'm going to watch and and be interested in, in real time is to see, you know, where that balance is. And, And do you have a situation where it's all up for grabs at once? Do you have a situation where maybe you have someone with a three or four shot lead where then the focus becomes more on the, on the team element. I mean, it's still a lot of money. I think $3 million is getting split between the four players on the winning team. So Um, that's something that it's a wrinkle that we're not used to seeing, certainly in golf of having, you know, there are some team events, but they're in a far different format and you don't have individual and team leaderboards at the same time outside of college golf. So, uh, that's something that, uh, will pique my interest, especially as we look forward to pumpkin Ridge.
1: Well, and then connecting your two passions of golf and then, you know, NBC sports edge betting. can we gamble? Are there lines on the live? Can I gamble on this? Like how is? Yeah.
0: It? Oh, yeah. Listen, if, if there's lines on the women's college world series, there's going to be lines on the, <laughs> on the live golf, I guarantee you. So yeah, uh, I think depending on where you shop, you can find it. You can probably find some lines. I have seen uh, Dustin Johnson, understandably is a pretty strong favorite. You got Louie and Taylor Gooch uh, among the top three there. And then I think Sergio and Poulter and some of those guys. So uh, yeah, there, there are going to be odds. Uh, I have not seen odds on the team format where with the, uh, the less than uh, creative team names of like crushers and niblicks and things that they came up with uh, those, maybe they should have workshop those a little bit more, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day it's a 48 man golf tournament and and people will bet on it if they can. And uh, so most bookmakers will find a way to make that happen.
2: How, how do you like Ratchananan Chantanana Watt at plus 20,000?
0: I mean, that was good. That was, that was, I, I applaud your ability to get that one out on the first take. Uh, yeah, I it, can't I fun. can't
2: decide between him and Ithapat Buranana Tanum rat. I just it's like how do I pick I know, those two? I know.
0: they're so they're so tough. they you know their games are very similar. Uh, one has a stronger short game, but I just can't tell you which one. Uh yeah, I mean that's the problem. And and this is some of the things that happens with the PGA tour model as well i mean especially at the canadian open this week i saw john houston just got in at like age 62 he's playing the canadian open this week but it's like the it's very top heavy and then it gets very interesting towards the bottom even in a 48 man field uh which you have for the live now that their hope is that uh you know bryson comes in and patrick reed and and potentially others well it's, it's a limited number so that they're bumping out you know the bottom four or five six guys or whatever for the for the uh, second event in, in pumpkin Ridge. So it's kind of a double whammy of you're getting the bigger names and you're also getting rid of the names that you probably don't know as well. So uh, you know, it's, it's backed by the Asian tour. It's co-sanctioned. I would expect there's still to remain an Asian tour influence in terms of crossover players. Uh, but I, yeah, I do think that that's uh, it's going to be an interesting dynamic.
2: Patrick well, Reed then- and Bryson DeChambeau coming in could push out the likes of Pachara Kong Watmai. I mean, that could, could happen.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, even uh, American names that I can pronounce and won't try to get the ones that you're reading off. But uh, <laughs> a guy like Andy Ogletree, who's a former U.S. amateur champion, I saw an interview with him with Matt Adams where he, you know, didn't say it, but he implied where he's like, I'm not in all of the events. This is kind of a trial basis where, you know, he's in for the first one. And then maybe you're you're playing two or three or four. I don't even know. But uh, you know, the bigger names are signing on for all of the events and probably a multi-year deal, whereas the other guys that, that they had to essentially fill out this first field maybe are not uh, guaranteed to be in for Pumpkin Ridge at the end of the month.
2: They're like that guy in the scramble tournament that gets invited like last minute, like, hey, man, you're not in the foursome permanently. We just had a last minute cancellation and we needed you to jump in.
0: Yeah. Seat fillers. Yeah. <laughs> Ready to go. But it's a guys, it's a very, it's a very lucrative seat fill. I'll tell you that. Seriously.
1: Yeah. Everybody's forced. We, we all need our, our seat fillers, you know, to, to throw a, a cork to a random golf betting question at you. I'm curious because I gamble on the PGA tour every single week. When, when people ask you I don't know, strategies, ways to go about it, best, you know, best bets, are, are there certain things you look at on a week in week basis? Cause I feel like, you know, pre-tournament odds, you're just throwing a dart against a board sometimes and hoping that it sticks and you never know how, thursday friday could go that bet could be totally tanked are you alive better like what, what are the what are the angles that you like to take on a week-to-week basis
0: yeah i think that there's a mix i think it's important to look at the course both in terms of you know you see a lot of horses for courses on the pga tour um but but there's also courses that that accentuate different strengths when you look at a place like Harbour Town, where you don't need to be long off the tee um but you need to be really accurate with your irons and have a really nifty short game or you get You know, of course, like Southern Hills, we had just the PGA a few weeks ago. That was a huge ballpark where if you didn't, if you didn't hit a 320 off the tee, you had no chance, like it wasn't going to happen. So uh, it's a lot of, I would say, even a casual better is going to do well to, uh, you know, acquaint themselves with strokes gained and just understanding what that is and, and. Um, you know, the strokes gained approach, when you're looking at iron play, strokes gained driving, it kind of leveled up the stats that are available, even just on the PGA tour website at, versus what, you know, we had 15, 20 years ago of just fairways hit greens and regulation. Now it's much more uh, informative uh, as you, as you try and, and uh, make your bets and, and figure it out. But at the same time, as you said, you know, live betting and in between round betting, that's part of the fun. And from talking to bookmakers, it seems like it's it's pretty balanced. I think most places are, it's it's around 50-50 in terms of the pre-tournament money they get versus the money that they're going to get uh, from betters once the tournament starts and as it goes on, especially for those bigger events. But uh, yeah, I, I think you want to look at something where if you have, You know, Corey Connors. Let's take her example, who is an incredible ball striker and cannot make a putt from you know me to my front door. Uh, (laughs) That's something where if he is you know lights out with a putter in round one, maybe you can expect some regression. Maybe I want to look to to fade him in a head to head the, the next day, and versus or you know on the flip side, if if you know that a very strong iron player just had a really bad day with the irons, eventually that's going to even out. Eventually that's going to bounce back, and and so that's a way to maybe get some value. And, you know, again, even at the PGA, you know, now it's easy to look back in hindsight, but, you know, you found yourself scrolling through that leaderboard, trying to get to a name where you're like, I could, I could see myself, or I could see that guy winning, winning this tournament. And JT was, was there, even though there were six or seven names ahead of him. Uh, and, and so there were some longer odds certainly available on Sunday than he had entering the tournament uh, on Wednesday or Thursday. And sometimes those, uh, those tend to break your way if you get the right guy.
2: Mm. I'm looking at dirt. I don't think I've ever seen him focus so intently on the answer <laughs> to a question, like the calculators out you're figuring oh, out in. like, okay, how can I re-strategize my best? <laughs> Cause well, he's not kidding. He's like plugged in. Not only do they talk a lot about it on their show, but dirt is like, he follows through and will throw action down on golf. And Sometimes Dirt will ask me if I like anybody and I'm like, bro, I don't know anything. <laughs> and we've tried to make like master's picks before, and we don't know what we're talking about. I, it's it, like you said, Dirt, it's like throwing darts. So it's great to have someone like Will come in and show us what we actually should be doing.
1: Well, I, I'm liking this, this positive feedback loop I'm getting because I made that JT bet Sunday at the PGA. Cause right. he just, he, he, I, all the names above him, nobody had won a major. And I'm like, well, if anybody gets hot, I could see JT getting hot. He just had a bad Saturday. Played really good on Thursday and Friday. Like he, he's going to be in the mix. And on that note, RBC and then the U.S. Open next week. Are there names talking of those strokes gained, T to green, all the metrics you look at? Any names that stand out?
0: Yeah. So the RBC this week is certainly, and even the U.S. Open next week, they're they're relatively unknown courses. This they haven't been to St. George's for the RBC since I believe 2010, uh, and Brookline hasn't hosted a, a U.S. Open since the late 80s. So there are some some unknowns. Uh, certainly, with when it comes to the Canadian Open, you want to look at. At the top ball strikers, which this field hasn't been spades when you're talking about Scheffler and Rory and Justin Thomas, um, but it does seem like there's going to be a little bit more of a tee to green uh, element than maybe the short game. Whereas last week, you know, you get that really long rough around Muirfield Village, and you need that magical short game, especially out of the bunkers um, that that we had last week, and and we saw it with some of the guys that that ended up near the top of the leaderboard. Billy Horschel basically didn't didn't miss a green for the weekend, and that made it a little bit easier. But um, yeah, I, I think that. Certainly for the U.S. Open next week, you need someone that can keep it in play. Uh, so that's not necessarily accuracy, but it's it's this total driving stat of, you know, you need you need the length, but you also need to be able to avoid the rough and and kind of go from there. Uh, you always have the, you know, strokes gain mental when it, when it comes to a USGA venue, because you're going to make bogeys and doubles and it's going to go sideways. Um, you know, Scotty Scheffler is, is on an all-world heater right now. I, I don't know. Uh, that we've seen one quite like that in a while in terms of the watershed of, of getting that first win. I would look back to David Duvall back in the late 90s where everyone was waiting for him to get a win, and then all of a sudden he reeled off like seven in a row. Uh, so that's kind of the the company that he's in right now. But I do think that, yeah, especially next week, I need someone that is really strong tee to green, and I'm willing to take someone who's a little bit weaker on and around the greens um, and, and kind of go from there. I will say uh, Matt Fitzpatrick, is going to be your you know popular sleeper pick in every office pool, uh, DraftKings, whatever, because everyone's going to flock to him because he's playing pretty well. Almost won the PGA yeah. um, last month. This is the course where he won the U.S. Amateur in 2013. Uh, it's a course that he loves and it does suit his game pretty well. Uh, he just had a nightmare putting week last week at Muirfield Village. So uh, there's reason to like him, but I'm telling you, in terms of a, a value or popularity standpoint. Way more people are going to be picking Matt Fitzpatrick next week than probably deserve
2: to. You know, you mentioned Will about horses for courses, and I forget if you've been to Pumpkin Ridge. I've not. To, okay, so um, to me, like that is a guys who hit it a long ways are going to be able to take advantage. Like they can stretch that place out. I, I don't know what it'll play out, but probably you know a pretty a pretty typical PGA Tour event. It'll be like seventy four hundred yards or something like that. Um, I'm, I'm just curious if, if you have any insight on the type of player that you think among those, like assuming that the guys who are playing in London will play at the event in pumpkin, some guys kind of, I don't know if it's a sleeper pick or what that you think that deserves some attention. And from a betting standpoint at the event in Portland.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say, uh, Taylor Gooch is someone that honestly was surprised me that he ended up going because, um, you know, he's really you know, you can look at it both ways. He's playing some of the best golf of his career. He's uh, someone that I thought would be especially receptive to the PGA tours pitch of like, Hey, stay put, we'll take care of you. But at the same time, maybe he's looking at it of, I want to cash in on the best golf I've ever played and, and sell high on my own stock. Uh, but that being said, I mean, he's, he's top 50 in the world. He's a really strong player has had a very good spring after getting that first win at the RSM in November. So he's someone that, that I would look to that that could potentially uh, play well at, at that sort of, uh, you know, a course, I wouldn't think that, you know, I, I have no expectation that Phil's going to really do anything. Uh, you know, Ian Poulter hasn't cracked an egg in a while. So, uh, you know, a lot of these guys that you're seeing, there's a reason that they're, they're taking this job. It's kind of like the last uh, contract for an NFL or an NBA guy. Um, but I do think that, that, uh, Taylor Gooch is someone to watch for, and and Eric, you and I were talking earlier uh, for a sleeper. I I think Scott Vincent is someone to look at uh, from Zimbabwe who just won his last two starts, uh, worldwide starts. One of them was on the the Japan tour, so didn't get a ton of media coverage, but uh, he's playing pretty well. He played in the Olympics back in, I believe, 2016 um, for Zimbabwe, and that's someone where, yeah, you know, form translates and and winning matters and when you're coming in with that momentum, and now all of a sudden maybe he's not going to be as intimidated by you know, playing in the same field as, as DJ and uh, Phil and and those sort of guys. And, and then we'll see from there. But, uh, you know, and then Bryson, I would say certainly if his hand is healthy, which I, I have doubts about, it was not healthy last week at the Memorial. But if if these next few weeks allow his hand to get better after the surgery that knocked him out of the PGA, you know, he, he's a guy that will let it rip. And, and if it's anywhere on the planet, uh, he's going to have a good time.
2: You know, Kevin Na played in the U S junior amateur at pumpkin Ridge (laughs) in the year 2000. And I know this dirt knows this. I know that because I caddied for someone um, that year who was from Chicago and we were paired with Kevin Na the first two days of stroke play. So Kevin Na um, has experience at pumpkin Ridge. I don't know how many of these other guys have ever played pumpkin Ridge because, um, you know, some of the, some of the ant like maybe they played in the US amateur there when it was there back in when Tiger won it in 96 i don't i, I don't know if any of Some these names might were on come it. up
1: on the winco and and, and played yeah. i know tony Finau was there a few of those names have shown up over the years
0: yeah that would kind of be my thought is that those guys you know i have to go back through the field and see but i would think that you have a better chance of having someone that played it you know on a web.com or corn ferry event versus anyone that's you know cracking around in their mid-40s mid that was there to watch Tiger <laughs> beat Steve Scott.
1: Yeah. You, you mentioned, uh, Will, being surprised by Gooch, and I know he was a name that, you know, was like, whoa, okay, that's a young up-and-comer guy, and he's making this jump early in his career. Did any of the other names that joined surprise you and kind of like, whoa, well,
0: that took you back a little bit? Uh, I think, you know, Dustin Johnson and, and Bryson somewhat uh, mo- more just because they had, they had come out and very clearly said that they were not doing this. I mean, remember, we had this run in early February where everything came to a head and, and it seemed like the PJ Tour had passed this this test, so to speak. And and they actually had the PJ Tour comms group tweeted a, a statement on behalf of DJ it said, oh, you know, I've, I've taken a look at things and the best players in the world are here, so I want to be here. Uh, so, so the speed with which they've been able to recruit some of these big names uh, definitely surprises me. And, and I think that there is going to be, uh, you know, a test ahead because, you know, all these guys, the USGA came out this week and said, everyone can play in the U.S. Open. If you're qualified, you're going to play. Uh, you know, it's interesting to see what the RNA will do next month for the Open, but I would be surprised if, if they... Ban players that are all otherwise exempt or otherwise qualified, and and you're going to have a situation where if these guys can take this money and play these handful of events and still play in the majors, that is a a dangerous combination for the PGA Tour's current model because then it's very much a you know have your cake and eat it too. Uh, it could come down to whether or not they're going to be able to get world ranking points eventually for these uh, live events. They don't have them currently. Um, and, and that could be something that factors it in. But, you know, typically it's always been if you're in the top 50 in the world, you're in all four majors. And so if, if right. these guys find a way to to split the middle where they play well enough in the majors to, to keep that standing, uh, or, or certainly Dustin Johnson off that Masters win, he's in the majors for the next uh, three years uh, if, if they don't, uh, you know, make a, a rule change.
2: Do, so, yeah, I mean, world rankings point seems like the only – the only leg that the PGA tour would have to stand on in terms of squashing this tour, because if you get world ranking points for playing in these LIV tour events, thereby you're getting into the major championships, you've basically created a new schedule for yourself. I'm going to play in the LIV tour events and I'm going to play in the four majors. Boom. There's my year. Is that, is that kind of the, the, the fear that the PGA tour probably has? And if so, are they going to try to fight to not allow the LIV tour to, to award Uh, world ranking points for their events
0: yeah they're definitely gonna gonna fight for that I mean I I think that's pretty close to the nightmare scenario because you have a a situation where you know remember the PGA Tour has spent so much time uh, and marketing dollars to convince us that the players championship is a major and now you could have a situation where okay there are four weeks a year when everyone is playing and it's none of them are are run by the PGA Tour that is not uh, a good look for for the tour and so that's something they're going to actively try and push against. I do think that the keeping world ranking points off the board uh, is a, a big way to do that because you know right now there are some a handful of guys that could still qualify but eventually two, 3 years down the road it's it's going to be hard to, to keep up your world ranking even in the top 50 if you're not playing except in, in world ranking point events except for a couple times a year but uh, yeah it's it's definitely something it's a, it's a scenario that they will want to avoid but to your point I don't I don't know you know, it, it's going to be hard to see the majors taking a stance against them. I mean, you're talking about the masters. Now you have, if you include Patrick Reed, that's five made masters champions that, yeah. that are, are playing over here with DJ and Phil and Charles Schwartzel and Sergio. So, uh, you know, the masters loves their tradition and, lo- you know, loves their past champions more than any tournament ever. It's hard for me to see them turning their back on those guys. Uh, again, those, those are meetings I'm definitely not privy to. Uh, so, and this thing has changed so, so often that, You know, it it could still uh, by the time we get to April. But, man, that's a a lot of empty seats potentially at the Champions Dinner uh, come next year with Scotty Scheffler serving some Texas brisket.
1: (laughs) Well, And you mentioned the decision on the U.S. Open to allow these guys to play and imagining that the Open Championship will make the same ruling. Was that kind of the, the final nail in the coffin, you think, for some of these guys? Like, we expected that decision to come. But once it was made official this week of like, okay, no doubt, now I can go play in the U.S. Open next week. I
0: don't have anything to worry about. Yeah, I think that that was expected, but I think that it probably gave them some extra assurances. We're still waiting to, to see what the RNA will do. Um, but it's it's harder, I think, for for the U.S. Open and the Open Championship because they're opens, right? I mean, they're still you, you can take the world ranking points out of out of play. Are, are you telling me that Dustin Johnson can't just show up at sectionals and try and qualify for <laughs> for the U.S. Open, right? I mean, that's they prided themselves on this notion that they'll welcome anyone if you qualify, and both both of those tournaments have a, a set amount of of spots available for, you know, this qualifying system, the U S open more. So they try and get it about 50, 50 with their field. Um, so the masters is more exclusive. um, but those guys, you know, that we mentioned are, are in for life. Um, so that's a different variable. And, and then the PGA championship, even though it's run by the PGA is probably closest to the PGA tour in terms of how they fill their field. So if there's one major that can more easily keep people out, it's probably the PGA, um, but but the two Opens, I think, are in a little bit of a different situation.
1: I kind of wish we got that spectacle. I want DJ showing up at Pronghorn last weekend trying to
0: qualify for yeah. the U.S. Open. That would have been great.
1: And yeah, well, yeah, yeah.
0: you had Ricky. Ricky played at uh, Admirals Cove down in Florida, so you've you, yeah. you potential potential. Well, and what would
2: there. be interesting about DJ playing like in a sectional qualifier is like, what if he doesn't make it? I mean, a lot of these guys <laughs> that just get in off a world ranking or whatever their status is, like maybe they're not even playing that great right now and so if they were to go to sectionals they maybe would get beat out by someone who's hot and it would just be probably not a very enviable situation for a guy like that to be in the pressure of like oh man i actually have to play really well today and there's a bunch of guys that are playing with nothing to lose and they might beat me.
0: <laughs> well, also but keep in mind that the, the direct deposit will still have cleared for him. So yeah, he's not, he won't be feeling quite oh, that too much pressure. Yeah. Too it's like, Oh, I'll, I'll go and give it a shot. And if it doesn't happen, I've got a week off.
2: So will to put a bow on this. I, I wanted to ask you 12 months from now, we ha- let's say we're having this conversation again about golf, the, the landscape of golf betting. And where do you think the LIV tour will be 12 months from now?
0: So I felt like if we would have talked a week ago, uh, I would have I would have said the fair comparison is the XFL, where this could absolutely it was going to exist, but it could be a one and done, you know, burnout sort of thing. Now well, they're with, certainly
2: going with the the names of the teams is very XFLish, right? so maybe yes. it is some kind of XFL.
0: There, yeah, there are a lot of fair XFL comparisons, but uh, at, at this point, you know, I, I think that it will exist next year. Uh, I, I don't know uh, you know, what it will look like or who's going to play. I think the next step in this process is to figure out what the tour is going to do to respond. What is there, you know, is there going to be a suspension? What's it going to look like? How much teeth does it have? What can they really do? Uh, you know, if these guys want to go and play elsewhere, what, you know, what sort of punishments do they have available, uh, especially for the guys that, that resign their membership. So I think that, that's a piece that we need to find out. We need to hear from the other majors to, to see really is is there a path to just play these live events and the majors? Um, because if not, then that I think that that will start to ebb the tide back towards the the tour. But yeah, I think a year from now this thing still exists in some form or another. Uh, I don't know that this is going to become the thing that breaks the professional golf model entirely, but it's it's having a more significant impact than I anticipated. I'll say that.
1: Last one for me, Will. For us, uh, Tiger sycophants out there. Do you, is, is the Tiger Tracker ever coming back? Do we have any update on that? <laughs> uh,
0: no, I think I think Tiger Tracker has probably tweeted his last round uh, or okay. her last round, unfortunately. Uh, it would be good. This would be a good year to have Tiger Tracker around. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see. I wasn't surprised to see Tiger bail at, at Brookline. I think that at the start of the year, everyone thought that the, you know, the open at St. Andrews, of course, where he's won twice, that's the one that he has circled where it's the flattest piece of landing golf. And that's where he's got the best shot of, of playing well. So not exactly a huge surprise to see him kind of focus on that, but uh, yes, Tiger tracker uh, had a, had a good era. It was a good run, but (laughs) I would say the curtain has closed on that.
2: Now (laughs) it's time to start the Ratchanan Chantananwananat. Tracker. See
0: now it's it's this is why Twitter went to 280 characters to be able to get all that in and be able to say <laughs> birdie on six. That's what
1: you need. <laughs> oh, it's great. Well, Will, thanks so much, man, for hopping on the podcast. This was great insight on the live. It's been a crazy week in, in the game. Well, have a crazy couple of weeks in the world of golf. And uh it's gonna involve us here in Portland here pretty soon in a couple of weeks. So thanks so much, man, for hopping on, sharing your insight, not only on gambling, but everything going on in the world of golf. Yeah, happy
0: to be with you guys. Good catching up.
1: Thanks again to Will. That, I mean, that was great insight. Yeah, you were spot on setting up that interview, a guy who uh, knows what he's talking about. And it's, I think all of us around the game of golf right now are just trying to figure out and navigate this new landscape and where it's going. I mean, we obviously had a conversation, Eric, about our thoughts on it and what is changing and what it's going to look like. What stood out to you about what, what Will had to say there? Yeah,
2: man, it, we covered so much. And he had, he's so well-spoken and had so much to say. I think one of the things that really, like, piqued my interest is the official world golf rankings points and whether or not these liv tour events are going to be recognized um and so players can can get points for playing in these events and the reason why i think that's so important and interesting to see how that develops is that that's going to impact whether or not the players can play in major championships certainly the what are their five there's five masters winners now playing in LIV tour events as of now. So those guys, you know, they they have a lifetime exemption into the masters, but, um, and, and when you win the PGA championship in the British open, same deal, you get basically a long-term exemption, but the U S open or for players who haven't won those major championships, if they're playing in the LIV tour, they need official world golf rankings points in order to qualify for those majors. Like sometimes that'll be the, the only way they're, they're able to get in. If they don't have any status on the PGA tour, Um, so if the LIV tour is not recognized by the official world golf ranking point system, to me, like that, that's a huge problem for the LIV tour. Whereas if they do get that, and so now you're going to earn those points to play in LIV tour events and thereby get a better chance of getting into major championships. That to me is a five alarm fire for the PGA tour, because now guys can say, Hey, I'm gonna play in the L I V tour events. I'm gonna make a ton of money. I'm gonna play fewer events, and I'm also gonna still be able to play in all the major championships. And that's assuming that all the majors are gonna let them in. You know, we mm-hmm. just heard that the USGA is gonna let everybody who qualified into the US Open. So assuming that the Masters, the PGA, the British Open follow in line, fall in line with that remains to be seen. But assuming they do now they're going to be able to play the LIV tour schedule and the majors and basically call it a, a year. And to me, like, what else are you really missing out on? If you, if you get those things, you get your ton of money and you get to play in the majors. That, that to me seems like a pretty good year for a tour player to have. <laughs> and so that, that was like one of the big takeaways I had from in talking with Will was like, how, like, that's a big question mark in my mind as to see how, like how that's going to land.
1: I'm with you on that. And it should be noted that the LIV tour has applied for the official golf world rankings to, to sanction or whatever. I don't even know what the phrase is to, you know, honor their tournaments essentially and their players. So they have applied for that. Now, how does that process go? I have no clue who's on the board, who makes that decision. I have no clue, but I love the phrase you used. This is already a panic mode for the PGA tour and Jay Monahan, who I don't, I don't know where the hell he's been and why he's not holding a press conference and why he's been so behind the scenes with this, just releasing statements. If that, if if they're allowed to get that world golf rankings, um, I, I think you legitimately then begin to start asking why is anybody staying on the PGA tour? Yeah. Um, because you have that a level of money involved. Plus you get, it's basically having your cake and eating it too, because yeah. these guys want to be able to play in the majors. Then we saw earlier this week, I think some guys were holding out until the USGA made that decision that you highlighted that, yep, you can play in the U S open. Absolutely. You can. And then the very next day you saw Bryson and Patrick Reed say, yep, we're on and we're going to go, we're going to go play on the live tour. So once they got that clarification, that's all they were waiting for. If you let them get world golf ranking status. Oh boy. I, (laughs) I don't know what it means for the PGA tour, but I do know it ain't, it ain't good, man. It ain't good.
2: Well, and the, so the short answer response that the PGA tour would probably have to that is like, okay, We just need to raise our purses and compete with the money that these guys are getting on the LIV tour. But as Will mentioned, and we are all kind of in agreement on, the PGA tour, their model is not set up to be able to compete with them just on a dollars-to-dollars basis. And so if they know that they can't compete there, then they have to just grab harder onto the whole PR piece of Saudi money, dirty money, that whole part of it. Um, And who's I I guess it remains to be seen – if people, if golf fans and players are going to let the Saudi money connection thing kind of fade away and become less emotional and less of a reason why they don't support it. Um, I don't know, maybe some people will literally take that to their grave that so long as pro a pro golf league or any league for that matter is backed by that kind of money, uh, by, by a group like that, I won't support it, but may, there's probably a lot of people that are kind of in that middle area where maybe it stings now. And yeah, I really don't like the way that looks and feels, but over time, they'll relent and maybe yeah. feel a little bit more like, you know what? Hey, that's OK. Let This is exciting television. Let's go forward with it. So
1: let's close up with some fun stuff on this episode. I got listener questions here in a moment. Uh, but you got another butt why and i want to get to your butt why so what do you got for me this week yeah
2: man i feel like the tone of this pod so far has been really serious you know it's like i mean it's <laughs> fun that we're talking about the liv tour and it's all exciting but it's still it's like there all these topics are like so like intense you know like what's going to happen like who's going <laughs> to who's going to be the next player to come over
1: everybody's on edge right now man oh my god
2: (laughs) and nobody knows what's going to happen and it's probably going to change tomorrow by the time people listen to this there'll probably be more players that we're not even talking about right
1: wait why didn't you reference this player (laughs) and that player it's like well we take this on thursday so it depends on when you're listening
2: so to to try to just bring it back into um golfers like you and me and golfers like like our listeners people that are actually out there playing around the portland area the the question that i have been chewing on lately and you know how I am with these questions I just can't get them out of my head sometimes I just get frustrated <laughs> with why these things are the way they are the question that I thought of this week is why do people why do some people leave the flag stick in and most people I would say and while other people really need it to be taken out okay <laughs> COVID kind of got us like it got us into this mindset of like you know what it's okay to leave the flag stick in because yeah, during COVID, like apparently, if you touch the flag stick, you might get COVID. And so we couldn't touch it, right? And so <laughs> leave the flag stick in. Some holes even had little floaty things in there. So the ball didn't go in the hole. It was chaos, right?
1: <laughs> Absolute chaos.
2: But then once the dust kind of settled on that, people, like most people, kind of realized that, you know what? Let's just always leave it in. It doesn't even really matter. It's probably easier. We don't have to tend it. We don't have to ask, do you want it out? Do you want it in? We just always leave it in. However, Sorry, this is a long question, but... I love it. I I, love it. I just go back to why are there still guys... And again, I'm not talking about PGA Tour players because they're on a a different level and everything has to be so exact and precise. But why do guys like you and me, why are there still people that need to take it out? That's my question. (laughs) So, So then... I want to know your answer to that. Have you played golf with people who need to have it out? And what is your reaction when that happens?
1: I love it. It's always whenever you're playing with people you don't normally play with you, everybody, you get to the first green at whatever course it is. And the awkward conversation of like, all right, all four of us are on the green. We're all getting ready to putt. Whoever's the closest to the pin, it kind of becomes your responsibility, right? Cause you're not up first. And then it's that awkward look around of like, Do you guys want it in or out? Does anybody care? And for the most part, everybody's like, no, what, you know, whatever. But I I think there's always one or two guys in the group that, you know, internally don't want to like be the, you know, the stickler or the diva and they want it out. And I, I'm with you. I've gotten so used to during COVID putting with the flag stick in. I remember last year I went and played at a Northwest golf guys event at Willamette Valley. And I played with a a person that I know. And then we were paired up with two randoms. It was a two man uh, best ball tournament. And we got to the first green and it, that awkward conversation ensues, and they were adamant. Take this, take the stick out. Adamant. Wow. I will not putt with this in. And I had been coming off of a year of COVID golf, where I couldn't even tell you the last time I putted to a hole without a flagstick in yeah. it. And it th- for like seven holes, it tripped me out. Because I was so used to the visual of the stick and kind of reading the green. Is the stick leaning a little bit? Maybe that helps me. And standing <laughs> up to putts with like no stick in, it threw me for a total loop. So the only reason I could think of, and this has happened to me I think one time, but it was, it was my own fault is if you feel like you've been wrongly persecuted by the flagstick, if you feel like you've had a couple of moments where it's caught the, you know, the metal part at the bottom and maybe your balls popped out, does it count? Does it not count? That's the only thing that I can wrap my head around, but that's only happened to me once or twice. And again, it's my fault because I hit the putt way too hard. And if the flagstick's not in that putt's probably bouncing right over the hole anyways, uh, but it is funny how people can get become sticklers with it. And I'm, I'm still uncomfortable at times now putting without the flagstick in because I've gotten so used to it being in that just the visual of it totally throws me off.
2: Well, so two things there. So you're saying that, that your decision could be impacted because it's of some negative situation that's happened to you once or twice in your golfing life, right? So how many rounds have you played in your golfing life and then right. it's happened once, or, yeah. once or twice where you've had this issue with the flagstick being in the second thing that is a problem is that when you have dissension within the group where totally. you wanted you wanted in they want it out like it just creates so much confusion <laughs> like that like that's so frustrating <laughs> i mean why not just leave it in let's just not even talk about it
1: i, I tend to I, agree with you
2: i want to know are there statistics out there that prove that you will make more putts if it's out. I feel like there's been some literature about the, like on the PGA tour, the studies show that if the ball's rolling a certain speed, but like those guys are so much different than us in terms of like how precise everything needs to be and how much money's on the line, whether they make or miss a six footer, like, okay, I I'll give them a pass. Like that matters, even though it is still is a little awkward when you see Adam Scott and his long putter, when he's putting with an anchor putter, that's not anchored. (laughs) putting a two footer with the flag stick in. Right. And I think is it Matthew Fitzpatrick is the other one who does that. I think so, yeah. Like Bryson of,
1: does it from time to time. Well, he's no longer on the PGA Tour, but Bryson yeah. does it from time to time.
2: Former PGA Tour Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so like the PGA Tour like that's another that like we'll we'll let them kind of live in their world. But for guys like you and me, I just have a hard time understanding why it needs to be out. And it's also kind of funny to think about why did I ever think it needed to be out? Like, why did I learn the game with, okay, if you're so far away that you can't see the hole, you need to ask them to attend it. Because if you have a 60 footer, the flag sticks in. And if you hit the flagstick, that's a two stroke penalty. Like what, why did did I never ask about that? And that was always the rule. Right. And it goes back to like, we've talked about this before about like all these things in golf that we've just sort of accepted. Like we've never challenged it. We've never asked questions. We've never said, but why? <laughs> and so <laughs> COVID, COVID like r- was a requirement that you couldn't touch the flag. And that taught me and probably a lot of other people that, you know what? That rule is stupid, anyways. Let's just leave it in all the time. <laughs>
1: So, there is a sigh of relief, I think, on the first green when you get four people that are like adamant, like, no, 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 it's cool. Leave it in. You're just I'm always kind of like, all right, good. I don't know. You worry just about got it.
2: an yeah. extra little like like pep in your step, right? Yeah. Like, OK, this is going to be a good day. Everybody's <laughs> on the same page. Leave the stick in. Let's turn the music on. Let's crack a beer and let's have a great day. Let's all have right? some
1: fun out here. You don't have to be the awkward guy that has to like stand on the green waiting for the last guy to putt because you're the guy that's responsible for putting the flag stick back in. Like, come on we're. I, I think that's one of the few things about COVID that has been a positive in the game of golf. It grew the sport and we realized that we can putt with the flag stick in just fine. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I love it. I love how you said too. That's why we need a, butt wide. we totally do. Are you, I'm going to throw, I'm going to have to throw that out on Twitter. Acura city golf. Are you a flag in or a flag out guy and see what the percentage of our audience is. So I, I think we'll have to throw that out. Speaking of uh, audience and listener reaction, you know, I love throwing out uh, for listener questions every single week on Twitter and I got to give Taylor a shout out because Taylor has become—he'll send us a tweet and include like way too many questions that we can't even get to all of them. It just, it's just—it's like like two back-to-back tweets that includes about thirty-seven questions in here. And unfortunately, I don't think people want a four-hour podcast. So let's try and get to a few of these. It sounds um, like
2: Taylor might need to be a guest on our show.
1: He might need he, now. He did invite us out to Pumpkin Ridge too, so we gotta. We got a standing invite to go check out. Maybe right after the livs done, let's go play with some grandstands in place. Love it. Um, so let, let's see what we got here. Uh, what's the piece of equipment you wish you had gotten earlier in your golf career?
2: Probably a rangefinder. Yeah. Now that I have that, like that's the, probably the only thing in my in my golf bag that if I don't have it, I'm like, crap. <laughs> you know, aside from maybe like my putter. <laughs>
1: yeah that one that one is is huge the other one that the only other one i could think of on top of a rangefinder because there's nothing worse than getting to the first fairway looking in your bag and realizing uh-oh now i got to do this like old school there's a 150 stick and i got to I got to measure this out by steps
2: well and then and then my my next thought after that is did i lose it Would like is, did i leave it at home because it's a really expensive thing right I mean, it is. what are they like 300 bucks and and so yeah. like my first thought if i happen to not bring it is Oh crap. Did I like leave it on a T box somewhere?
1: <laughs> Where did this go? The only other one that, that even comes close to that to me is a is a click gear. Click gears are game changers. Uh yeah. getting rid of the old, you know, rinky dink local Muni push carts that you have to, you know, at your local course, having a click gear with a cooler, you can put your stuff in there, you put your speaker in, like a little umbrella holder. Click click gears are absolute game changers. And once you get one, you never go back.
2: You know, I didn't get a, a click gear until last summer. And I was always a, I was a single strap carry guy. Well, I mean, you I had a, yeah. well, I had a stand bag for like in college and stuff, but my wife bought me a McKinsey Walker for my birthday, um, five or six years ago. And that was my bag. And I, I would just carry it. And even when I worked at Bandon, I had a, we, we had for loaner sets for people who have played the preserve before COVID, um, they would just give you one of those cool, really super light ping carry bags. And I got one of those when I worked there and that just became my regular bag. And so I was never a cart guy. All the times I worked at Bandit, I never once took a rickshaw, even though there, I think those are great to use there. And certainly when I was there, like a lot of people would bring their click here, not as many people that were flying, but a lot of people that drove down from Portland or something would bring their click here with them. But I, I just never used one. And so I got one last summer and now I'm with you. Like if I don't have that, It's a pain. And I I think a lot of it has to do with, like you were saying, like putting the beer in your bag. Now it's like, all of a sudden I got to carry all this on my shoulder.
1: I got six beers I got to carry for for however many holes until I finish all these beers. And and
2: where does the speaker go and where do I put my beer? Cause I don't have a cup holder and yeah, it's a mess.
1: It's a first world problem, but 100% I'm with you. It's a game changer. Once you get it, what's, what's better. The dog at the turn or the post round beer.
2: Oh, for sure. The post round beer. I mean, the the dog tastes good and you need some fuel, but I feel like no matter what you eat at the turn, it's always rushed. Um, the squirrels or the birds might eat it. Like it's just, you're just basically shoving your face to try (laughs) to just refuel for the back nine. Right. Very true. Whereas with uh, the 19th hole beers, you're, you're having a good time and you're, to me, like much, much more fond memories of the, the post round beer. How about for you?
1: I'm hundred percent. Yeah. Now look, I'm a big dog at the turn guy. You got to have a good dog at the turn. You know, my official hot dog, uh, uh, golf course rankings, which will come out at some point this summer. I'm working on my definitive list, I, but you're waiting for that. You're so spot on on the, on the rushed <laughs> shove down the goal at eating that takes place to the point where you get like half of it down and then you got to go hit your tee shot. Then you're walking up the 10th fairway, trying to eat before mm. your next shot. Like, it's just a little chaotic, you know. It's I don't like, have and then enough like time. Like you,
2: you're trying to grip a three iron, you got mayonnaise on your fingers, <laughs> and you're like, oh jeez,
1: right? A little greasy fingers, the club slipping. It's no good. So post round beer, 100. Uh, percent Last one. How tall is the mysterious Eric?
2: How tall am I? I think I'm six three and six three and a half, something like that. Six three and a
1: half. Okay. Six, when you're when you're my height everybody's tall and I can't tell you how tall anybody is it's taller than me. I just know you're taller than me and I can't I couldn't even begin to tell you. I just know <laughs> I, you're tall. That's
2: it. I'm curious why Taylor wanted to know that. Did you tweet I, about something about my height I, or something?
1: I, no, I didn't say anything. He's just, oh. you know, it's the mysterious EP, man. People want to get to know you. They need to see you out on the course. So, and, and on that note, we got some fun ideas for later this summer. We'll, we're going to keep those in the holster for now. Uh but we got some fun ideas that we want to do with all of the great listeners of Grip City Golf. Uh, later this summer last one here and this came from Michael not a question but on the last podcast remember we did the topic on day trips that are great for golf in the local area yeah and one that he included and this is one of those that you think about it's like how did we miss this uh he said I love your topic on golf day trips a couple others are Uh We're in 30 minute drive over on the course reasonable rate McMinimins for lunch and beers post round also Florence golf links is less than three hours away it's a great course City-owned, so low rates as well. Yeah. So those, are, those are two good ones over by the Oregon coast that we totally overlooked. I've played Gearhart. I've never played Florence, but two more day trips we got to add to the list.
2: Yeah, Florence is good. I've played there a couple times. Yeah, totally agree with both of those. I think that when it comes to driving over to the coast, like most of the time, and, and I mentioned this about going to Central Oregon, for whatever reason, I just think of those as golf is one ingredient of some trip I'm spending over in central Oregon, or like, Hey, we're going to the Oregon coast. Uh, Let's also play golf while we're there. We don't really think of it in terms of like, Oh, we can just have a round at, at Florence golf links, sand pines is another one over there. That's good. Um, that you don't, you just don't really think of that as just like a, let's go play golf on a Saturday.
1: Right, right. It's a little bit different. So thanks to the listener interaction at grip city golf on Twitter uh, well, buddy, the whole world of golf is changing. We don't know what it's going to look like by the next time we talk. I'm heading over to Central Oregon this week. Have you ever played Juniper and Brasada? Because I'm checking those off the, the the list. I've never played either.
2: I've played both of them, yeah. Brasada is solid. You're going to okay. love it. Juniper is pretty good. Um, Brasada is one of the better courses in the state.
1: Okay. Well, that's going to be my weekend. So, and then I'm going to Hawaii next week. So we got to take a little hiatus. I'm It's vacation. I'm like a teacher, man. It's summer. I'm ready. School's out. Let's go. It's, it's vacation time. Yeah. So don't, I'm you in have, senti- don't you have a
2: podcast to run, man? <laughs> like, what am I going to do?
1: So we're going to try and squeeze in an episode. The goal is on uh, Monday and next week before I head oh, out on Tuesday for Hawaii. Oh, so keep I an eye right? out on that. Uh, And who knows what the golf world is going to look like by the next time we talk, but, uh, this was always uh, fun as always. And, uh, thanks buddy. We'll do it again soon.
2: Yeah. Sounds good, man. Looking forward to it.
1: All right. There you go. Episode eight of the grip city golf podcast. Until next time, everybody. Thanks for listening. And Hey, go low out there. But I tell you
2: this, my friends, I'm still around.
0: I hit it hard, man. So far.